Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Trinity Podcast. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the Associate Lead Pastor here at Trinity. And this is the Easter season. We've been teaching and reflecting on the book of Revelation for the last number of weeks. And today we're going to be looking at a passage from Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. We're going to read the text together and then reflect and see what the Lord might have to say to us. This is Revelation 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer, with the prayers of all God's people, on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Revelation is full of symbol and strange imagery. Those of you who've been reading along with us uh, know that already, have seen that already. Many of you have read it before. And this passage is actually one of the more straightforward moments. At least we have an imagination for things like angels and censers and altars. It's the stuff like locusts with human faces or uh, women riding dragons that gets tough to know what to do with. What do you do with those texts? And even though this seems pretty straightforward in comparison, like we know what's at least happening in this passage, an angel has a censer with incense and he's offering up prayers on an altar in heaven. Okay, we can at least imagine that. Holy things are happening in heaven. But in terms of how to apply what we're reading to our lives now, or to know what it means for our faith, I suspect that it feels equally unclear. And admittedly, the only way any of us can really make sense of what we're reading in these verses, I believe, is if we read them in context with what's happened before and what happens after. You kind of need to know what's going on in the story, or it probably won't mean much to you. So I want to share just a bit of that context now, because I have found myself actually very encouraged and challenged by this passage, and my hope is that you will be as well. So in the chapters before, we're told that Jesus has taken a scroll from the hand of God, This scroll represents the story of human history. It contains all of God's intended purposes uh, for his creation. It's the story, capital T, capital S, that God wants to tell through the world, has been trying to tell through the world. But it's locked by seven seals. Jesus, however we learn in chapters 4 and 5, is going to unlock it. He's going to open it up. Uh, as it were, open up human history. He's the one, the text is trying to tell us, who can unlock and move forward God's good purposes in the world. And so as Jesus does open these seals, 
we're told through symbolic imagery what human history looks like from God's perspective. And not surprisingly, it's not great. We're told that it looks like horsemen riding out in rebellion, waging war against the purposes of God. But then there's a pause. And suddenly, unexpectedly, we're called away from all the activity on the earth to this scene that we just read in heaven that appears at the beginning of chapter 8. So before the seventh and final seal can be opened to reveal the purposes of God, we pause so that something really important can take place in the heavenlies. In fact, this pause is the seventh seal. The seal is opened, and rather than something really epic happening, which is what you're sort of led to expect, there's instead, instead silence. All of heaven goes quiet, we're told, for half an hour. And that's when you see the angel with the censer appear before God to present the prayers of God's people uh, who are still on the earth. The prayers go up before God, and then and only then can the rest of the action begin. Seven angels appear with seven trumpets, and the story proceeds. So I think what the vision is in part trying to say through all of this imagery rather than words is that it's the prayers of God's people that actually do move the story forward. Our prayers being offered before God play a vitally important role, not just in Revelation. But the point, of course, is that they play a really important role in what God's trying to do in the world. So why would this be, this particular point, be an important thing to include in a revelation from God to the church, both then in the first century and now? Well, because I think many of us struggle now and have always struggled with believing that our prayers matter, that they really do anything. I mean, I think we can probably all see the logical benefits of meditation and reflection. But y'all, Christian prayer, Christian prayer, is so much more than that. What we see and learn and hear about prayer in the Bible is so much more than that. It is active. It's participatory. Some of you probably have had the thought at some point, but yeah, yeah, doesn't God pretty much have it all figured out already? Isn't he just going to do what he wants anyway? So why should we pray? I think that question's a really crippling one. And I think in part that this revelation was given by God to John to combat that very crippling, to encourage the church to pray, to say to them, your prayers do, in fact, matter more than you can possibly know. One of the most scandalous facts of the Bible is that God has decided to make his power and his work in the world to some degree contingent upon the prayers of his people. So the word to John's readers in the first century was clear. Pray, even when it seems or feels futile. Those prayers are not lost. They're gathered up before God and they are given a vital role to play. 
And y'all, if that was the message to John and his readers, it is most certainly still the message for us today. So I don't know what it is that maybe you're struggling to pray about. Maybe it's just you're struggling to pray in general. But what if you considered as your Easter practice this week, choose something or someone you can pray for. Now I'm not really talking about confession or the should I do this or do that prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you look around, where do you see that God's will, his heart, is not being done? What if those were the things this week and maybe for a few weeks throughout the remainder of this season that we chose to pray for? Also praying our prayers of confession and the should I do this or that prayers. But maybe in particular, there's an encouragement in this text to pray for the coming of God's kingdom in our own lives, in our own hearts, but most certainly in the world around us. And from where I sit, it very much seems as if there are a lot of people who could use our prayers. So God bless you. Be with you. Happy Easter. See you soon. Amen.